for checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, good morning again. I am so happy to be here. Some of you heard Christmas is 10 days away, and I heard cheering mostly from back over there. Um, I'm sure there was also some little like people who wanted to grab their chest or something because it really brings up mixed emotions, right? It's only 10 days away. Some of you are so ready and some of you are so stressed and some of you are somewhere in the middle. That's kind of where I am. I'm, I'm in the middle somewhere there. You know, some of the presents are bought, some of them are not. Some of the things are ready, some of them aren't. Um, but I really do love this time of year and Advent helps us with that because I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like Christmas is like waiting in line at Six Flags. You're like, you're there, you're standing in line for 45 minutes, and then all of a sudden it was awesome, but then it's like over. And you're like, what? We've been waiting for it for so long, and then it just, it just passed. But Advent actually helps us enjoy that time leading up to it. It helps us slow down. I know that for us, Abigail and I, we just started practicing Advent um, not too long ago, just a few years ago, more intentionally slowing down and reading Scripture and, and anticipating um, this season and things like that. And that's been really good for us. And we've been in our Advent series, A Child is Born. And that's an exciting thing. Anytime a baby's born, we actually just had some good friends who had a baby born on Friday, and so we were really excited. Abigail and I have been praying for them, their ministry friends, their pastors, and so uh, we had been praying for this baby, and we didn't know the name. So it's one of those things instantly when the baby's born, you're like, what's the name? How much do they weigh? First, you want to know everything's okay. Everything's fine. What's the baby's name? Baby Jocelyn was born on Friday, and what's fun is there's so much meaning in a name. Names take intentionality. I don't know. They don't teach you this in premarital counseling when you're getting ready to get married that there's, there's actually, this is something we should maybe cover. Like, how do you decide on the name? We didn't know there's so many rules about it. You know, there's like all these rules. Like, we can't do anybody either one of us has ever dated. We can't do anybody that has a name that comes up that just like, oh, I, don't, I had a person that I knew. I didn't like them. I don't know. They just, it just rubs me the wrong way or it doesn't sound right or the initials spell something that they shouldn't or, you know, things like that. Just do the, the first and last names work together you got to think about that. You know, I was thinking about the Wright family, the Wright brothers. If they had a sister named Eileen, that just wouldn't be good. You know, Eileen Wright, she'd always be getting off on the wrong foot. Just like, you know, I just thought that was a good way to start the morning with some some dad humor because we're going through Isaiah 9-6 looking at the names of Jesus that are prophesied and the names that are given him. And these are the four names. Let's look at our passage, Isaiah 9-6. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of peace. And so today on week three of our Advent series, we're talking about how Jesus is the everlasting Father. He's our everlasting Father. And so I thought it was appropriate to start with a little bit of a dad joke. But when we think about Jesus being our everlasting Father, a couple things maybe come to mind. First thing that comes to mind is, wait, that's a little confusing, right? If you've been around church for a little while, you're like, isn't the Father the Father and Jesus is the Son? And so we'll take a little theology pause just for a second to clarify that up. It's talking about how Jesus relates to us. If you can pull back up that slide we showed last week, we said that wonderful counselor points to his qualities as king. It shows us the type of king that he is and and how he rules, that he's wise and he can lead us in the right direction and point us the right way. Last week, we talked about how he is mighty God. This shows his ability as king. There's nothing too hard 
for God. And this week we're talking about how he's our everlasting father. And this shows how he relates to those in his kingdom. And so no, this is not saying that Jesus is also the father and the father is also the father. That leads us into some heresy, some wrong thinking, which is actually really relevant this time of year, Christmas time, because the Nicene Creed, which is where we get a lot of our, our foundational truths about the Trinity and things like that and how we view God, um, St. Nicholas was there. Yes, St. Nicholas was a real person. He was the patron saint, and um, he was there. And there's this guy named Arius who had a different view of God, and he was like, you know, they're kind of the same. Jesus and the Father are, are like one, and St. Nicholas was like, no, he held to the traditional Trinitarian Orthodox view, and it actually, he got pretty upset and ended up punching Arius in the face. And so instead of saying, you know, to those around you, you better be good or you get a lump of coal, you could say, you better get your theology right or Santa's going to punch you in the face. <laughs> Might be a little bit more accurate. So... So we have this, this idea that Jesus relates to us as the everlasting Father. In fact, in the Gospels, it says that he came to reveal the Father to us. We learn about the nature of God through the way that Jesus relates to us as the everlasting Father. But to be totally honest, the second thing that it brings up besides a little bit of a theological question is, you know, is that even a good thing? Because a lot of us, you know, have different relationships with our dad. Some of us have great relationships and we've been blessed. And when we think back about Christmas's past or memories or things with our dad, it brings up joy and, and thankfulness. And that's good. You should be absolutely thankful because that's not really the norm. For a lot of us, when we think back, you know, there's some pain there. There's some, there's some hurt. Maybe he was, he was all around a good guy and you would describe him as a good guy. But there's just certain things that... that weren't fulfilled that you hoped he would fulfill. You know, there's, there's a, somebody who is a psychologist that says there's three things we need from our dad. We need our dad to say, I love you. We need our dad to say, I'm proud of you about something. And we need them to say, you're good at this, whatever this is. Those are three foundational things that every person is looking for from our dad. And a lot of us probably haven't had all of those met. And so when we think about Jesus relating to us as our everlasting father, the more we think about it, the more uncomfortable we kind of get with it. And my goal is not to bring up bad memories or things like that just to bum you out on the Christmas season, but really to point to a solution and a savior and to give us hope that it doesn't have to be that way, that Jesus is everlasting father. And that's a good thing. So what I'm going to do is we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to look at three common father wounds. But before we do that, I wanted to show you this little meme I sent my friends related to St. Nicholas. It was this. He's making a list, checking it twice, going to knock you out if you deny the divinity of Christ. So Jesus is Lord. I had to show that. I was telling Abigail, I was like, I need to send this to somebody this week, but I don't know who will get it. So I sent it to a couple of my pastor friends, and then I showed it to all of you. So thanks, thanks for indulging me. But we're going to jump in to some stats uh, really quick. Um, these, these are things that kind of uh, surprised me this week. A little bit surprised, a little bit not surprised. The national statistics show that 71% of high school dropouts didn't have a good relationship with their dad. 75% of teacher, teenagers with substance abuse came from a fatherless home. Um, and when we look at common father wounds, we see that often they result in other problems in our life. 
And one of the things that is a very common father wound comes from the idea of this, having a father who was never satisfied or feeling like he was never satisfied. This is the dad who, no matter what you did, you never really felt like he was proud of you. And we, there's somebody, a pastor's wife actually, who was excited. She was the first person ever in her family to go to college, and she had been dreaming of this moment of walking across the stage, but really more than dreaming about walking across the stage, she was picturing walking down the stage, and she had this idea in her head that her dad would be pushing her, his way through the crowd and, and just come up and be like, I'm so proud of you. Um, and so the day finally comes. She's graduating. She graduated with honors, 4.0, great success, first one in her family to, to graduate, and it's happening actually as she kind of pictured. She's going down the stairs. Her dad's pushing through the crowd and he gets to the stairs where she's there. But instead of saying, I'm proud of you, he says, you know, it's getting kind of late and your mom and I are going to take off before traffic gets bad. And she was just crushed. And she went and she's gotten counseling since. And actually her counselor's like, you know, that's really affecting your relationship, not just with your dad, but with so many other people, your husband and your friends and, and the, the way it affects your career and things like that. But so many of us have, have moments like that, especially if you were raised a little bit earlier. It says that between 1945 and 1980, 50% of dads during that time were physically there, but emotionally not there. And so a lot of us in this room maybe experienced something like that, where you just wanted your dad to be proud of you, but you didn't get to hear those words. And that's crushing. It, it affects you, understandably so. But the good news is that our everlasting father is so different than that. He's so different than that. In chapter 43 of the same book in Isaiah, he says that we are precious to him precious. That's a, a strong word, that that's how God views us as precious. He, he says that he pays more attention to us than a mother thinks about her newborn infant. Check this out in Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. And this is God speaking through the prophet of Isaiah. And Isaiah's like, can you even imagine somebody forgetting? Like, I can't imagine. Abigail is never forgetting about our kids. I remember the very first date we went on after our, our first was born, Judah. And, um, you know, it was three months after he was born. And we went out for my birthday. And I just remember we were like two minutes in and all we could talk about was Judah. Because it's like, you can't stop thinking about your, your newborn baby. And God is saying, as much as a mom is like that, I'm like that more. I, I think about you. I care about you. I will not forget about you. You are very important to me. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus says that not a hair falls from your head that God doesn't know about. And then this in Zephaniah chapter 3. This is probably my favorite one out of the three. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. We serve a God who is proud of us, and not because we can earn it, but just because of what Jesus has done, that he looks on us and rejoices, that he's actually exalting over you with loud singing. I just picture, you know, God just 
singing this tune, and for some reason it's more endearing if it's off key, even though I'm sure God is a phenomenal singer. But it's just more endearing because he's like, man, Dan, I love Dan. He's so awesome. I love Dan. And I'm just like, that's just so comforting to know that maybe we did, maybe we didn't have a dad who is satisfied with us, who is proud of us, but we serve an everlasting father who rejoices over you and exalts over you with singing. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He knows you well. Verse 4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle far from the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God knows you intimately, and his thoughts are with you and for you. He cares about you deeply. David even says in that psalm, how can I understand that? It's too much for me to understand. It's beyond comprehension. I don't, doesn't, it doesn't register because naturally what many of us do is we take our earthly father and use him as a lens to see our heavenly father, to see our everlasting father, to see how God relates to us. And in some ways that's helpful and in a lot of ways it ends up being hurtful because then we have a distorted view of who God is. And it's hard to reconcile those two because it's a natural lens that we all put up. But where can we go to get away from him? He's like, I can't go anywhere. Even if I go down to the depths, which Hebrew is the word she always like, even in, in hell, like you're going to come. And we know that he did. He rescues us from hell. God loves us so much. Do you ache to be special to someone? You are already to God. Do you want to know that you matter? You matter deeply. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He cares about you so much. He is for you. And so before we move on to our second point, our second father wound, I kind of want to just pause for all the parents in the room and say, if we want to be good parents, one of the best things we can do is show up for our kids, just to be present and to love them and to model the love of the Father. Be crazy about your kids. And this was helpful advice. Somebody told me, you need to remember your kids don't need you as a pastor as much as they just need you as a dad. I did my internship under a pastor who was wise, and they're like, you know, your natural tendency as a pastor is going to be to pastor your kids, but you need to understand that even more important than that, they need you as a dad. And the difference is, you know, I'm not coming up with just an objective of spiritual goals and and information and transformation of their lives and things like that. I'm showing up at their sports games and just cheering because I love them. It's different. And that's what God does for us. And if we want to model that to our kids, we need to care about them and show up. The second way that often we have a, a skewed view of God because of our earthly father is we maybe had an earthly father who was always angry, or at least he was a ticking time bomb. You didn't know when, when was a good time. You kind of would send your other sibling, hey, go ask this question. And based on how that goes for you, I, I'll go ask my question. You know, you're not sure how dad is going to respond. And a lot of times when dad's angry, you know, it's hard to love him because you, you don't know 
it's hard to love something you're afraid of. And it creates a lot of problems. Oftentimes, one of the biggest things it creates is people who need to be in control. Psychology actually calls this um, hypervigilance. And so if you think when they bombed Pearl Harbor, the response we had in terms of infrastructure was that we put in radar systems that were so sophisticated it can, can, te- it can detect any movement in the Pacific Ocean within a 5,000-mile radius of Pearl Harbor. And that is what happens to us as kids when we have a dad or a father figure who is often angry is we want to know everything. We want to be in control. We want to be prepared for what's going to happen. And oftentimes that carries on throughout the rest of our life in our other relationships, in our workplace. We need to be in control. We can't let it go. And obviously that affects how we view God. We can't, can, we, can we trust him? We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I know he loves me, but you know, he'd probably like me a little bit more if, if this, or if I was like this person, or, or if this thing changed? What if, I, what if I did this differently? Or when something goes wrong in our life, we're quick to be like, see, I knew it. And we blame God. But Psalm 103.8 says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. In Hebrew, it's actually a phrase that is, is a metaphor and saying his nostrils are long which is is kind of a weird picture, right? God having long nostrils. But what it's saying is that he can breathe deeply. And in that culture, it meant that he is slow to anger. There's not much that you can do to upset him. And God is slow to anger. He's full of compassion and, and grace, and he's abounding in love. And many of us had the opposite. We had somebody who was slow to love and abounding in anger. And what that does is we automatically view God that way. But God doesn't, doesn't get upset easily. He's slow to anger. And in fact, his wrath for those of us who've become followers of Jesus isn't an issue anymore. He's poured out all of his wrath and anger on the cross, on Jesus. He paid the price for that. So when we think of the father in Jesus' parable who stands at the door yearning for his son to come back, that is a more accurate picture of God than somebody who's waiting there stomping his foot with the light on. He's waiting. He's anxious for you to come home. He loves you. We know that because of what God does, there is no more punishment for our sin because Jesus took away all of that. It's in Romans 8. We we see that there's no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We've been adopted into God's family and that we can now hold on to that promise that he's working things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is for you. He's slow to anger. He's with you. We didn't maybe see that growing up, but he cares about you deeply. He loves you so much. He's slow to anger. So a lot of people will come and we'll talk about this and we'll, we'll sit and discuss over coffee, you know, their view of God. And a lot of them, the breakthrough comes when they're willing to flip their lens. And instead of viewing God through their earthly father, they're willing to view their earthly father through the lens of the everlasting father. 
There's so much healing that comes there. Because no matter how good your dad was, he wasn't perfect. And no matter how absent he was, you can still find grace for that when you view him through the lens of God. The reality is, is our earthly dads are supposed to be training wheels for the way we view God. And some of us just didn't have very good training wheels. So we need to take those off, see God for who he is, that he is compassionate and full of grace, slow to anger and abounding in love. We need to forgive. And the third thing is, maybe we had an earthly father who was absent. And we touched on this a little bit, being emotionally absent. You know, there's the three things we need. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at. And maybe you've heard of Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson is a famous athlete. He was professional in both baseball and football. And he said this, my father has never seen me play a football or baseball game. Can you imagine? Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room and envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk and have a drink with them after the game. I never experienced that. Oftentimes, this leads to other relational problems in our life. But our Heavenly Father is emotionally connected with us. If we go back to that parable where he's standing there waiting, one thing that, that stood out to me is that he should have been overseeing everything. He should have been, you know, working. I know he had people working his field and things like that, but, you know, he was so preoccupied with his son returning and checking in and emotionally invested there that he put everything else aside. And every parable pretty much in the New Testament has an action step at the end of it. You know, go and sin no more. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, so this. But this parable doesn't have an action step tied to it. Now, I think it's because Jesus wants us just to be drawn into a moment of worship about how great the Father's love is for us. That he would stand there with open arms after we've ran away in the opposite direction. And, and then he actually picks up his robe, which was a disgraceful thing to do in that culture, and sprints down to meet his son as he starts coming back. That is a picture of God. That he loves you. And he is emotionally there for you. And he cares about what you care about. It should point us to be like 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. And again, I think as parents, this is just a reminder that so often the best thing we can do is just love our kids well and be present. And I'm all for training them up in righteousness and doing family devotionals and spending time in the Word and, and instructing them that way. But I think even more important than that is that we model what it looks like to be loved by somebody. And then there's those of us who've been not just emotionally have an absent father, but physically absent. Maybe he, he died prematurely or he left or, you know, there was divorce, things like that. And we wonder, is God going to leave me at some point? Is he just going to say enough is enough? Is he going to disappear? But Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a promise from God. I will never leave you. And the Greek word for never there, you may like this, it means never. He's just not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to give up on you.
And so this is the great thing, is he's the everlasting father. He's perfect and good. He's present and he loves you. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And he, he delights to be with you. And even our, our good dads don't live forever, but Jesus is the everlasting father. And so my goal for us is that we stop viewing God through the lens of our earthly father and start viewing our earthly father through the lens of a good and perfect God. To go back to Zephaniah 3.17, it says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will quiet you by his love. I love that phrase. And as I was reading that, I just got this picture of Poema. She's our youngest. She's 17 months old. And that means she falls a lot when she's walking around. You know, because she kind of walks like this and then starts running and she falls and you know, or maybe her brothers took a toy away from her, or, you know, she's just hungry, and she's just upset about something. When she's upset, her walk changes even more, because she tucks her chin in. I don't know why, but she just goes like this, and sticks out her arms, and she just starts running towards me or Abigail, whoever's closer, and she's like, da, 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 and I just pick her up, and I just talk to her, and I just quiet her by my love. And that's what our Heavenly Father does for us, is He quiets us with His love. He's there for you. You are not alone. And maybe you've never experienced this, whether or not you've decided to follow Jesus. Even if you've decided to follow Jesus, you still haven't experienced this because you haven't let the truth of that sink in. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to change the way we view God, that He is a loving Father. But maybe you haven't experienced it because you're not actually a part of God's family yet. But the good news is Romans 8 says that when we decide to follow him, when we make Jesus Lord of our life, we receive the spirit of adoption, that we become part of God's family. And because of that, we can cry out, Abba, Father, which just means Daddy. And he loves us dearly. It says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. As the worship team comes back up, I just want to encourage you that God is loving. He's slow to anger. He's compassionate and he's emotionally present. He's there for you. And if you've never become part of his family, you can experience that today. The only thing separating you is you because the Bible teaches that none of us are perfect and God is holy. He is perfectly perfect. And because of that, we can't be in his presence. But the good news is that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to take the punishment we deserved so that we could have right standing with God and be adopted into his family. And so if you've never done that, we would love to talk with you about that today. Our prayer team will be available in the back. And actually, we're going to do it a little bit differently. It's not going to be after service. Prayer team, if you would go to the back now, even during this song, and if anybody wants to decide to follow Jesus for the first time today, go and talk with the prayer team. But not just that. If God is speaking to you, moving, go and get prayer. 
if wounds are coming to the surface because of your relationship with your dad, go get some prayer. Maybe you came in and it's something totally unrelated to this morning. We would still love to pray with you. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue in worship. Father, thank you that you are the everlasting Father, that you are good and you love us, that no matter the example that might have been laid before us, you are far, far better, that you are compassionate and gracious, abounding in love, that your thoughts are with us. You know how many hairs are on our head. God, that you quiet us with your love, that you sing over us. Would we receive that today? As we sang earlier, would we just set everything aside? Would you take away chains from sin, from wrong views of you? And would we just receive the love you have for us? Whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, God, we are grateful that you love us? Would it change the way we live, the way we think? That you are our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.